and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mental Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mental, the relationship doctor, and Chris has the weekend off. And I'm very excited to introduce you to my special guest today, practicing psychiatrist, Dr. Michael Lyles. Welcome, Dr. Lyles. Happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled that you're here. In fact, you always look better than Chris does looking at the other side of the microphone. Just want to throw that out. (laughs) And so every weekend we're here, we're doing life together. And as always, those of you who are listening, we're so glad that you've joined us. Listen, we're going to talk about a very important topic today, one that affects a lot of people. In fact, Dr. Lyles, you probably know the statistic on that. How many people in the United States are affected by clinical depression? Oh, it's one of our major public health problems, about one out of five women in the course of their lifetime, anywhere from 13 to 17% of men in their lifetime will struggle with an episode of depression in their lifetime. Yeah, that's a staggering Mm -hmm. thing to think about. But I think one of the things that people don't think about is that there are multiple causes uh, to, to create depression in somebody. So just mention a few of the things that can cause depression. I always tell people depression is a symptom, not a diagnosis. It's like saying somebody has a headache. It could be from caffeine withdrawal or from a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And depression can be from something like a thyroid problem. It can be a side effect of a medication like hormones. It could be because of a reflection of an abnormal disease like elevated blood sugar. It could be a sign of something very severe like pancreatic cancer. Yeah. It's a whole lot of things. That can be uh, misconstrued for depression. One of the big ones these days is sleep apnea. People who are not getting adequate sleep because of uncontrolled obstructive sleep apnea with the enlarging of our population and the epidemic of sleep apnea that's going on. I see at least uh, two people a month whose depression is contributed to because of untreated sleep apnea. So you and I were talking before the show started how sleep is kind of the big thing this day, that Mm -hmm. sleep has so much of an impact on so many aspects of our well-being. Yes. And so why is it we're just now beginning to understand how important sleep is? When I was in medical school back when dinosaurs walked the earth (laughs) in the 1970s, uh, they said that it'll be something that we did not teach you about that we will realize later on we should have told you about. And sleep was that thing. We now know that sleep is very core to a number of medical issues. Your heart functions better when you get adequate sleep. Uh, A number of endocrine organs function better with adequate sleep. But your brain needs sleep Mm -hmm. because your brain actually rests and makes neurotransmitters in deep sleep and slow-wave sleep. And if you don't get adequate deep sleep in a night, your brain doesn't have an opportunity to make the neurotransmitters that it needs. It's like not putting enough gas in your car every time you go to the gas station. Yeah, I always tell people it's almost like a reboot, like a computer. You just have to, you know, you get so much stuff on your computer and suddenly things start to happen and go wrong. And what do we say? Well, just reboot that computer. Just start it again. Sleep kind of has that same effect. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always said I should write a book called The Sleep Diet because if you just give people good sleep, that's kind of a weight loss thing too. Oh, a lot of people, when they don't sleep, they get up and eat. Yeah. I had a patient this week whose diabetes was getting out of control because he would wake up in the middle of the night and eat Doritos. Well, Uh if you're going to eat something in the middle of the night, that's what I would pick. (laughs) A little guacamole on the side as well. (laughs) So he's got good taste in his snacking. (laughs) Well, listen, I think it, it is important to have people understand that there are a lot of medical conditions where also depression is a fallout of that medical condition. So, you know, we've talked about cancer is one of those. When I give a cancer lecture to medical students, I always talk about please screen for depression when somebody's going through a cancer. Any kind of major medical illness 
uh, you want to ask people about depression. And again, it's one of those things that we're a little bit reluctant to talk about, um, but yet it affects so many people. Oh, yeah. People uh, who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema, at risk for depression. I've talked about diabetes. People with arthritis. Uh, yeah. You're asking you know, osteo or rheumatoid arthritis, uh, lupus, any connective tissue disease. You should ask about it. And then there's a lot of life stress that people are dealing with and a lot of things that in the environment. I mean, the terrorism that we're experiencing with the shootings in the schools, a lot of the technology stresses people out mm-hmm. in terms of keeping up with technology. We did, a, we did a show on Facebook depression. I don't know what you think of that, but there have been some studies that show that, you know, if people are not getting the likes that they need on Facebook, right. if they're not on Facebook, there have been some cell phone Um, studies with cell phones that if I don't have my cell phone with me at night and it's right in my pocket that somehow I'm going to feel depressed or anxious. Anxious, for sure. Anxious. Yeah. Also, if we're dealing with a lot of loss or changes in a person's life. So there are a lot of things in a person's life, stresses that people have to deal with that the response to that can be to become depressed to a point of clinical depression. Yeah. To me, the technology, there was a commercial for a technology company that showed a kid in his room on his cell phone instead of being outside playing with kids. Yeah. And I was saying, I feel like an old man. This is what's wrong with young people these <laughs> days. Right. Because so many of our younger people are spending more time talking to each other by text or on Facebook instead of sharing air with each other and actually talking face-to-face with another human being. It's like the motto of your show. It's better when you do life together, together. Yeah. not in a room talking to somebody on a cell phone. The one that cracks me up is I'll see two kids sitting next to each other on a park bench, and they're texting each other. They're not even talking, and they're right next to each other sitting there. Or you see that in a restaurant sometimes. You'll see two people out to dinner, and they're both texting, and they're not talking to each other. I've had patients that were broken up with. By text. text. I know that's a no-no from what we we talked about on the show. Well, so that's one of the ways that you can get depressed. If you're you're on technology, you're not getting the results you want from technology. Maybe you are feeling disconnected because the isolation isolation. is one of the things that really is one of the promptings of a depression. Let's go through the signs so that when people are thinking about depression, what are we looking for? Feeling sad, down, blue uh, for long periods of time. Major depression, people will feel this way at least two weeks a minimum in a row and they have trouble with their sleep can be not enough sleep waking up most of the time they go to bed okay but wake up in the middle of the night or wake up early in the morning sometimes atypical cases they may sleep excessively Mm -hmm. 12 13 hours at a time Uh, changes in appetite uh, eating too much or not eating enough Uh, changes in pleasure drives what we call anhedonia in my business where the person doesn't engage in things that used to find fun or pleasurable if I stopped playing golf or stopped doing gardening, there's something wrong with me because I'm going to do that if I'm in any kind of shape whatsoever. So it's just a loss of interest. You just suddenly are not that interested in doing it. You just it. don't care anymore. Right. Yeah, people will lose their sex drive. They'll lose the desire to be around people. They will isolate. Everything is negative. The old adage, the glass half full or half empty, the depressed people see the fingerprints on the glass and get all upset that they have a dirty <laughs> glass. You know, so your whole view of things becomes corrupted to the point that people can start feeling hopeless, helpless, and having suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And I think the feelings of worthlessness are in there, too, where people mm-hmm. just feel like I'm not worth anything related to the suicide. Life would be better off without me. Mm-hmm. People can get along because I just don't matter. Oh, I've had mothers with small children 
that were severely depressed that said, my kids deserve a better mother than this. I should take myself out of this world. My husband will find a better woman that would serve my kids properly. And I, I have actually said this to the patients that the way that people deal with suicide is very difficult after someone has committed suicide and yes. left. You don't, your life is not the same. Yes. You don't easily get over that. And it isn't something that people do well with afterwards. No. And there's nobody that's going to replace you or that's take right. care of your children the way you would have done it. So that really is a lie that you begin to believe in that dark hole. You start to get into this dark thinking and you go down, down, down because people are never better off without you. It's also a lie that you have to feel that way. Yeah. The tragedy is so many people get like that and they don't seek any help or treatment. It is the really sad part because as we get into this, we'll talk about there's so many treatments for depression that are really good. And I know you treat people that have very difficult depressions that don't always maybe respond to some of the things we're going to start to talk about. But let's just get into that a little bit in terms of what are some of the just lifestyle things that people can do to help their depression? Well, one of the things is what we were talking about before, which is getting adequate sleep. Uh, in fact, I tell my patients, if you don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to be able to successfully treat you to the level that both of us want to see as an outcome here, because your brain needs to get its rest. And if you just run your brain into the ground by not getting any sleep and letting your brain get any rest, it's only so good you're going to get if you get better at all. So, so Dr. Lyles, I'm paying you $200, and you're going to go tell me to go sleep? Uh, if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hold on that one. So we're going to talk about sleep. I was looking at the time. we got to go to a quick break, but stay with us because there are some very specific lifestyle things that you can do that you wouldn't have to go see Dr. Lyles for if you just did some of these that could really help with clinical depression. So stay with us more in a moment. Mother and daughter relationships are powerful and they impact all our other relationships. Think about it. The way you react with your mom typically is the way you might react with other people. Yet this important bond can be filled with tension when both women try to find their own voice and develop a sense of self. So working through the mother-daughter relationship can be a challenge, but it is so worth the effort. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mintel, and I would love to help you navigate this important relationship and strengthen it to the best it can be. That's why I wrote, I love my mother, but a book to strengthen the mother-daughter relationship. We all love our mothers, but sometimes we need a little help working through our differences. I love my mother, but available on my website, drlindamintel.com, or online where books are sold. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show, and today I have a very special guest, Dr. Michael Lyles, who's a practicing psychiatrist. Dr. Lyles, I didn't even introduce you in the first segment of the show, so people should know that you went to the best school in the universe, University of Michigan. Go Blue. Go Blue. Hail. Okay. <laughs> and then to Duke <laughs> University for your residency, and you also were at Kentucky for a while, isn't that Taught correct? medical school at Kentucky. Okay. Um, but you've, you've been in practice for a long time. You're a consultant to a variety of community organizations and you presented to over 30,000 professional people in your life, including physicians and counselors and psychologists and all kinds of people who are interested in mental health. And you, you certainly are an expert on the topic of depression, 
Best of all, one of the reasons I, I love to have Dr. Michael Lyles on the show, he also is a Christian who has a Christian worldview. So he comes at this from the perspective of um, the Bible. So that's always a great thing when you can integrate those two things together. So before the break, Dr. Lyles, we were talking about some lifestyle things that you could do to really help depression. And the first one you talked about was sleep. Right. What else besides sleep would you recommend? And specifically a minimum of six and a half hours of sleep. Because really it's preferable to get more than that. Yeah. But most of my patients are doing four and five. Yeah, I think seven and eight is where we kind of yeah, we we like, like, land. Yeah, I like seven or eight. And then but, 10 for kids, yeah, if yeah, possible. But, and that one is surprising to me because when you poll parents, especially of young kids, and you say how many hours of sleep do they get? I would guess that a lot of people are not getting those 10 hours oh, no, of sleep. No, absolutely not. So you prove your kid's temperament right there by just getting them the proper sleep. Let them get their rest. Okay, what else do we need to think, be Diet. thinking about? Diet. Diet. A lot of studies have suggested that eating more of a Mediterranean-type diet with more fruits and vegetables and less red meat, less fried foods, would be very helpful to brain health because really all these lifestyle things are about improving brain health. Now, I know this is hard because people are saying it's just a whole lot easier to you know, run by the fast food place and pick up dinner. I'm from the South, and the breakfast of the South is a honey bun and a Coca-Cola. <laughs> a Coca-Cola? See, I'm from the North. I have never heard that. A Coca-Cola in the not morning? Not a Pepsi. <laughs> from Atlanta. <laughs> it has to be okay, got it. In the morning? You have That's to not the be issue? from the South. I, I am not. Yeah, okay, I'm not. So we want to we want to avoid the processed foods. We want to try the to eat sugars. more natural foods. Right. Cut yeah, down on sugar. Yes, cut down on sugar. Uh, cut down on caffeine. Don't live off of caffeine. Yeah. I have patients that come to me for anxiety problems that are mm. drinking five, six, seven cups of uh, coffee a day. And triggering that anxiety. And triggering the and anxiety. And don't put that together. Most people know what they should do. It's just a matter of making a commitment to start doing it. And what I tell people to do is to do it little by little. Mm-hmm. Don't try to change everything overnight, but try to make one change a week. Like I said, get rid of the sodas, start drinking water instead of sodas. That's a big change because you're going to get rid of a lot of sugar Right. by doing that. And if you're going to go to a fast food place, you never order the number one. Because the the number one, which is the most popular thing, is usually the one with the most fat and uh, salt in it. The number one, okay. Whatever the number one is. Whatever the number one is. Because they're promoting that? Is that why it's number one? Because it's usually the most popular thing, but it's usually the thing that's the worst for you. You know, try to look down the list and find something that's actually healthier. And, you know, we've got apps (laughs) on our phone, and you can do that. I've I've looked at that in fast food. I know exactly in certain chains which is the best choice in terms of making a good choice at a fast food place. So you can get on your phone and you can look it up. Oh, and see, bring up a point, which is to think about this before you're in the line of, of fire. Yeah. Don't wait until you're in the line. You get up to the thing and the lady says, may I help you to decide what you're going to order? Yeah. Make that decision before you leave for the fast food place by looking at the menu online and seeing which entree has the best health quotient for you. Okay. So sleep and diet and what exercise. else? Exercise. Exercise. I don't want to exercise. Uh, most people don't. <laughs> So. I, w- I went to medical school at the University of Michigan. With, the University. Yeah, Let's just with, say it's the right way to say the University. I said it right. I you went did. there. I'm on a lawn. <laughs> uh, but I went to the University of Michigan with aliens from another planet who would get up at 4.30 in the morning oh, and run in the snow to get their workout in before going to class at 8 o'clock for medical school. We got a group at the medical school I teach and they do CrossFit. At 4.30 in the morning. Those Same are thing. aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I think this is the issue. We It's hard to get motivated. And I have to say, 
I'm really bad at that. Actually, my physician told me, she goes, you can join me at 5 a.m. before you know we begin our workday. And I'm like, okay, I don't think so, but thank you so much. The time that I was the most fit in my life is when I had an exercise buddy. Me too. And we would meet and play handball and exercise yep. and have fun in some aerobic manner a couple times a week. I think the fun part is really yeah. important. What you don't want to do is for your exercise buddy to be somebody who really, really enjoys it, yeah. who's very fit, who knows how to do it. You want somebody who's on a par with you, who needs to do it as much as you, who hates it as much as you, and hold each other accountable. Give us a few of the benefits to uh, motivate us. Besides all the cardiovascular benefits for your heart, it helps your brain because it decreases inflammation in your body. Uh, both the diet and the sleep and, and the exercise, all three things combine to decrease inflammatory uh, substances in your body that contribute to your brain aging and being under stress for long periods of time. And I've read some studies, I don't know what, what, where you are with this, some studies that are saying it might even be important in the prevention of dementias. Yes. Okay, yes. so that's a good enough reason right there for so me. So we're to... promoting brain health. Along with that would be some supplements. A few in particular would be omega-3 fatty acids, okay. vitamin D, Vitamin, vitamin D, D is particularly good in the wintertime. It seems like everybody I know goes to the doctor, gets their vitamin D levels drawn, and everybody's low. It's really becoming a state of the art. If you don't get your vitamin D level checked, yeah. particularly in the fall and the winter, then your doctor didn't fully do the work okay. up right. It's like checking your blood sugar and your cholesterol. Uh, you check the vitamin D. Uh, I tell my patients, when we change the clocks, uh, when we fall back, yeah. you need to become very aware of your vitamin D content. And when we spring forward, it's not as much of a problem because it's during that period in between that you're not getting much sun. Even if you're outside, the intensity of the sun is less. And that can cause vitamin D levels to drop. And that can contribute to a number of health consequences, including seasonal or winter depression. But now there also is a spring-summer version of that, isn't there, that people don't ever think about? I think some of those people may have allergies. Yeah, some okay. of my patients do that at certain times of the year when certain pollens are mm -hmm. out and they have more behavioral problems when they're also having more trouble with their allergies to certain pollens. All right. Well, listen, we got to take a break. It seems like the time is going so fast, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk a little bit more about depression. We'll enter some spiritual ideas into that conversation as well. So stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a mom or a dad trying to do your best to raise a healthy weight child in an unhealthy eating culture? Do you often struggle with how to respond when your child asks if she is fat or if he needs to lose weight? Do you wonder what is normal and how do I best impact my child and his or her eating habits? Well, hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mental, and my book, Raising Healthy Kids in an Unhealthy World, teaches parents how to raise healthy kids in an overscheduled, fast food, video game world by making simple choices, easy changes, and instilling good habits that will improve everyone's life today and forever. Winner of the Mom's Choice Award, Raising Healthy Kids in an Unhealthy World will give you this confidence, the confidence you need to take charge of your child's eating and raise a healthy weight child. Raising Healthy Kids in an Unhealthy World. Available on Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com. And available online where books are sold. What do Thomas Jefferson, Agatha Christie, Pope John Paul II, and Princess Diana have in common? Well, these notable individuals and many others, past and present, share the habit of journaling. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda, the Relationship Doctor, and I've got some tips for you on the value of journaling. Whether you're just writing down a few thoughts or pouring out your heart on paper, 
Journaling has some real benefits, like getting a handle on your emotions, or a better understanding of other people, or even organizing your priorities. Sometimes reading your older journal notes will help you appreciate the sweet little details of life you enjoyed but maybe have forgotten. One of the best benefits of journaling comes when you look back and you see how the Lord has been there in all your circumstances, directing your steps and taking care of the things that matter to you. If you've not considered journaling before, give it a try and see which of those benefits journaling might bring your way. You are listening to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show, and Chris Weigel is off this weekend, and I'm very happy to be joined by a guest, a special guest, Dr. Michael Lyles, who's here from the Atlanta area, a practicing psychiatrist who's had over 30 years of experience. He's an expert in the area of mental health. One of the areas that he does a lot of treatment in is in the area of depression, which is what we're talking about today. So right before we went on break, we had been talking about the lifestyle issues that people can do in order to help if they're having depression issues. But let's talk a little bit about medications because people hear a lot about medications and the treatment of depression. Yes, antidepressants are what we use mainly in people who have uh, significant cases of depression because a lot of times, even if you do the lifestyle things, that works for the mild cases, Mm -hmm. but people who have moderate to severe depression, it does not improve enough of those kinds of things. Before talking about medication, though, I have to make a caveat that most people who have moderate to severe depression also need to be involved in some sort of counseling or therapy. Good. I'm glad uh, just, you brought that up. Yeah, just yeah. taking any kind of medication alone is probably not adequate because all the outcome studies that have been done since the 60s have shown that the combination of therapy and uh, medication is the best way to get the best outcome in treating depression. Especially in the cases where the depression is really created maybe from things that have happened in the person's life. Trauma, 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 trauma. trauma. Right. And if yeah. you're not dealing... So so one of the things that we don't think about is that when you get medication, it's dealing with the symptoms of that medication, but it's not getting at the root issues right. of what might be creating that depression. So that's where I see people needing to go into some kind of counseling or therapy to right. really address... For instance... If you have issues with your your spouse and you're having a terrible time in that marriage, going on medication might help your mood, but it's not going to take care of what's going on with the marriage. Correct. Uh, Medication must always be used in the context of a generalized treatment plan. That's why we talked about lifestyle things. Right. And counseling. It's body, soul, and spirit. We're looking at all of it. And also spiritual interventions. Yeah. Uh, Churches need to embrace people that are dealing with depression and disciple them and help them to learn how to apply their faith to what they're going through. There were tons of people in the Bible that dealt with depression. It was not an uncommon thing at all. Even uh, Isaiah chapter 53 said that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. grief, yeah. Okay? So even Jesus knew what it was like to have a bad day like that and go through periods of sadness like that. So anyway, in the context of a general program, medication can be very, very helpful in helping people to get relief of some of the severe symptoms of depression. Uh, Now, a lot of times people don't want to take medicine because they feel like if I start on an antidepressant, I'm going to be on it forever because Mm -hmm. it's addictive and it's going to change who I am as a person and it's going to block my ability to appreciate the work of God and the Holy Spirit in my life. These are very common things I hear. right. Uh, for a lot of people, taking an antidepressant for first episode is something they may do for just a year, six months minimum, more like about a year, not forever. Uh, people who have recurrent episodes take it for a long period of times, but for an initial episode, you're not making a lifetime commitment. The medicines we use are not addictive, 
and the medicines we use do change your personality. They get rid of some of the meanness, the irritability, <laughs> the sadness, the crying, yeah. the not wanting to do anything. It gets rid of all of that. But those are things that are contaminating who you really are as a mm. person so that you get a chance to be who you really are. And anybody that thinks that medication will block your ability to appreciate the work of God in your life has a very high view of medication and a very low view of the Holy Spirit. Mm, because I've never, ever seen a medication do that. And I've actually seen exactly what you're saying. The medication actually puts the person in a place to be able to hear better from God and to yes. be able to focus more on the things of the of the Bible. So maybe when they look at that scripture and they say, put on the garment of praise mm-hmm. for the spirit of heaviness, the medication is helping them be able to do that. It's getting them out of that paralyzed, immobilized kind yes. of state so that they can begin to then think a little bit clearer about, yes. yes, I can do this now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. And so medication yeah. can be a part of that in terms of getting you to that place yes. where you can you can then think more clearly and do the things that scripture tells us to do. So do you see scripture as playing a role into that treatment as well as the medication? I like to tell my patients to read Psalms. If you want to, you can read Lamentations. Yeah. Because uh, Lamentations is Jeremiah doing what a lot of my patients need to do, which is to be very honest about how they mm-hmm. feel and bring those feelings to God and give them to Him because He can handle it. That's right. You don't have to play games and fake it till you make it and just try to be pretty and wonderful all the time uh, or have it all together. Those people in the Bible didn't have it all together and they didn't fake it and put on airs, as we say mm-hmm. in the South. They were authentic and honest with each other and they got well because of that. And David really did that. David was constantly talking to God about how he felt. Oh, some of those things he said, I'm like, oh, no, you didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) To God, are you kidding me? If I said that to my grandmother, I would have slapped. (laughs) Except God knows what's in the heart, right? So even if we're not saying it, your grandma can't read your heart, but God already reads your heart, so you might as well just come clean and say it, right? Yeah. Might as well just tell him. Yeah, so there's a lot of power in admitting those feelings and beginning to talk about those feelings and then going to the Lord in prayer about that. But it's not a one thing. It's not a one size fits all. So it is doing the things that we've talked about with the body by doing the lifestyle changes. And then it is the the use of medication and maybe some good Christian counseling where you can look at the roots. And then also in your spiritual life, beginning to change that glass from being half full to half empty because of who God is and because of the promises of God and because of what God tells us. And the one thing we want to tell people that are of faith with depression is that there is always hope. So that notion that there is no way to escape, which leads people into a place of suicide, is a very dangerous notion. It's a lie from the enemy. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see Mm. the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what David said. Well, let's just leave it right there. I, this is such a big topic. We could talk for a long time on this. But thank you, Dr. Lyles, for taking the time and talking to us about clinical depression, which is a problem that faces so many people. So many of you listening are either dealing with that or know people who are. Just remember, there's always hope. Hope in the Lord. And then do the things that we've been talking about to make your life better. Well, that's all the time we have for today. A big thank you to Dr. Michael Lyles for his wisdom and coming and talking to us about depression, such an important topic. Many, many thanks to our social media director and producer, Norm Mintel, our engineer, and my co-host, Chris Weigel, who will be back with us next weekend. In the meantime, from all of us at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you next weekend. Remember, we're here, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm.